Well, good morning, everyone. I'm JR, one of the pastors here at Cedar Hills, and we're delighted to have you with us in worship this morning. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you brought one, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. John chapter 20. We're in a series where we're focusing on the word adore, and not just the word adore, but specifically how the word adore relates to the various names of Jesus that we see in the Bible, especially during the season of Advent. We're in the midst of this series, and we've been singing the chorus to the old familiar Christmas song, O Come All Ye Faithful, and I know that all of us here have probably sang that hundreds of times, but I don't know that I can ever recall a time in my life when I've been as intentional as I have been this year about focusing on adoring Jesus, the Anointed One. And I'm sure that much of this comes from the focus that we've placed on it in this series here. And I don't know if you're anything like me, I just, I love this time of year. I love the Christmas decorations. I love the story behind the lights on the Christmas tree when Martin Luther walked through the fields of Germany and one day saw the the stars through the trees and got the idea to go home and actually hang candles in a tree. I I just love those kind of things. I I love the the spirit of generosity and, and gratefulness that just seems to permeate the atmosphere wherever we go, whether people are Christian or non Christian. It just seems that there's an energy that's in the air that people are contagiously wanting to share with one another. And if you're wired anything like me, you may even find yourself drifting back to some of the stories of Scripture where you're reading about the shepherds and you're meditating and reflecting on that to the point to where you can almost hear and see the angelic host when they appear and direct the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and to follow the star. And even though we're not there 2,000 years ago, One of the things that we can do and that the Bible does for us, and I'm so grateful that we can rely on the stories in the Bible, because in some very meaningful ways we're able to revisit these stories by simply reading and reflecting on on the story. And even though we're not at the manger and even though we're not at the other events that are surrounding the Christmas story, we can adore Jesus right where we are because the Scriptures promise us this. It promises us that Jesus is always with us. Kent preached during Emmanuel, God with us. And that he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. This is just one of the reasons why the invitation to all of us is to come and to adore the anointed one. And so the challenge that we're posing before all of us during this series is to pick up your adoroscope. And uh, the adoroscope is one of these, it's, any of you have binoculars or telescopes at home or spotting scopes? You know, when you have those, they have what is called a field of view. That when you look through this, it narrows your field of view to just focus on certain items. And one of the things that we're wanting to do is we're wanting to look through our adoroscope and we're wanting to narrow the field of view of life, narrow the things that distract us from seeing who the anointed one really is. The promises that Jesus has made. And for all of us, that means there's going to have to be different adjustments for us to really see what it is that God is asking of us and what he's wanting to do with each of us. So one of the questions that 
I want to ask this morning as we focus on adoring the anointed one is, is how do we go about or engage the spiritual practice of really adoring Jesus the Christ? Because here in this one short sentence, I've used his name, Jesus, which means the one who saves with one of his most supreme titles, Christ, which is going to be our focus this morning. And it comes from the Hebrew word Messiah. When it's translated into Greek, it's the Christ or the anointed one. Everybody say the anointed one. And what I hope to do this morning is share with you just a truth that will help equip you to take your adoroscope and narrow your field of view down to one area that really matters when it comes to worship and the adoration of the anointed one. You know, when I think about how we engage the practice of adoring Jesus, this is a, it's a fair question. And uh, I think there are two values that we bring to the word adore. And we say that when we adore someone, we're looking at somebody with a deep level of love and a deep level of respect. In fact, I believe that the practice of adoration requires a subject to be at the very center of our adoration. And in Christianity, Jesus, the anointed one, is our center. And our hearts play a very significant role in the practice of adoration. One time Jesus addressed a group of religious leaders whose lives were full of religious tradition and they were full of religious ceremony. And I want you to listen to what he said to them. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Therefore their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And so if I was going to rewrite this in modern vernacular, in everyday language, I might say something like this. You might show up at the right church, attend service, maybe even sing a song or two, maybe even recite a prayer, but your heart really isn't in it. And what Jesus is really getting at here lies at the heart of adoration. And what he's getting at, I think, really asks the question to each of us, Are we fully vested? Are we fully vested in doing what it takes to narrow down our focus, to become single-eyed, to have single vision, to, to eliminate the distractions of the things of this world, to really make Jesus the anointed one, the center of our lives? You know, when it comes to a relationship with someone... And we're in a relationship with Jesus. We choose to love and adore. One of the things that I've learned is that um, words can never be used as a substitute for the feelings in our hearts. And sometimes words are incapable of adequately sharing what we feel. Some things, I believe, just need not only to be said, but they need to be expressed. And I believe, and and just indulge me here just a little bit, okay? Because I I really don't know how to say this exactly right, but this is the best way that, this is the way that it works inside of me, and I hope you understand it. I think there's this place where our heads, our hearts, and our words all come together, and they can be witnessed as a true expression of who we are, and, and they tell what we really believe. And when everything that's in our head and our hearts and our mouth comes together, when this happens, we speak words that are loaded, and they possess the power to convey to the one that we adore who we truly are, what we truly feel, and who he really is to us. 
So a question that I have for us this morning. Are our words a true reflection of what we believe? You know, there's this part of us that that no one sees, and it's this. It's this part of us that's most important to him. Adoration is first and foremost an attitude, I believe, of delightful worship because we're living in a relationship with Jesus. He's the anointed one. But you know, worship and adoration is not just a matter of location like gathering in this worship center. It's something that's to be done in spirit and truth, and it can happen anywhere. And what I'm talking about here is this place where our heads, our hearts, and our words come into agreement so that our actions express this in our worship and our adoration toward the one that we call the anointed one. You know, really, we really only adore those things in life that are most precious to us. The wealthy adore their wealth, the creative their arts, the academic knowledge, the theologian doctrine. Hopefully to those of us who are believers, Jesus. We all have what C.S. Lewis refers to as our overwhelming first. Everybody say that, our overwhelming first. You know, when it comes to adoring the anointed one, he's really not first in our lives just because we say he is. The overwhelming first is this place in a believer's life that should be reserved for the one who truly deserves this position of overwhelming first in our lives. And this is a place that Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, asks each of us to reserve in our hearts and our lives just for him alone. And you know, when you think about it, adoration is a privilege. We get to adore him. We're invited to Come, let us adore him. Not only is it a privilege, it's an obligation because he's the one who was anointed to become the Lamb of God. He was the one who came to take away the sin of the world. And because of this, his anointing as the anointed one makes him worthy to be first as the center of focus of the attention of our lives. And this morning, we lift him up as the one that we adore. And it's during this time of the year that we decorate and we do Advent and we orchestrate our services to focus, to narrow our focus on who Jesus really is. He's Emmanuel, the one who was with us. He's the anointed one, the one who was anointed by the Spirit and the power and the authority of God to come and be a sin offering for us. Let's talk about the anointed one just a little bit. You know, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, or you're just getting introduced to the Bible, you might get a little confused with all of the titles that are oftentimes tied with Jesus. You'll find he'll be referred to as the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Son of God, Rabbi, Lamb of God, Messiah, the Promised One. And there's all these names and titles that are associated with Jesus, and I know that it can sometimes be a little uh, or hard to understand. But the title most often given to Jesus in the Bible is one that's at least familiar to most of us, but it's also one that I'm not so certain that we fully understand that well, and it's the title that John uses in our text this morning. So if you've turned there to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, let's read these together. In our text this morning, John says, starting with verse 30, He says, in the presence of the disciples, Jesus performed many other miracles which have not been recorded in this book. 
But these which have been recorded are here so that you may trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that by this you may have life because of who he is. I love that in verse 31. These that have been recorded, these that we're reading in the Bible, these that have been recorded are here so that we can trust that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he's the Christ. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because one of the titles for Jesus that I'm talking about this morning is Christ. It means the anointed one is one that's so often used in connection to the ministry of Jesus that we tend to think of it as his last name. Really. And I wanna, I've been doing something lately in preparation for this message that's opened my eyes to, uh, to something. I've discovered that when you ask the average person on the street who Jesus is, they can answer you with, well, he's the guy that, that Christians focus on. They, they get that. But then when you ask them if they know what Jesus' last name is, you know what almost every person that I've asked answers with? Even Christians. Christ. You know Jesus' last name? Yes, Jesus Christ. We use the word Christ so much in our circles that most people who don't know Jesus' last name, even Christians, guess it to be Christ. And it, it stands to reason, the way that we use those two words together. But, but here's the truth. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. In Jesus' day, people were given their names according to where they were from, like Jesus of Nazareth. Or what they did for a living, like Jesus' father, Joseph the carpenter. Or the tribes from which they descended, Jesus the son of David. And more than likely, in Jesus' day, he would have been known as Jesus Bar-Joseph, meaning Jesus the son of Joseph the carpenter. His last name isn't Christ. Christ is his supreme title. Everybody say supreme title. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Christ, the anointed, the one promised in Isaiah 61 who would come to establish as a reality on this earth the expressions of the reign of God's kingdom as his will is decreed to be in heaven. And to, and to begin to exalt and, 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 and live out and demonstrate the reign of God's favor on this earth. Jesus was sent as the prophet, the priest, and the king of kings to establish the rule of God's kingdom because this is why Isaiah prophesied, saying that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness from the prisoners and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You know, the meaning of the word or the title Christ is, is taken from the Old Testament where God promised the people of God, the nation of Israel, that a deliverer would come and that he would deliver them from their sin. So when we come to the New Testament, the word Christ is a translation of the Old Testament word for Messiah. And they're just two translations of the very same word that mean the anointed one. You know, in Old Testament times, People were anointed when they came into offices. Prophets were anointed. Priests were anointed. Kings were anointed. And this anointing signified a setting apart, a, a consecration, the favor and the choice of God resting upon them. The writings of the Old Testament tell us how the people of Israel looked forward to the day when the promised Messiah would come. 
The one who would be supremely set apart and consecrated by God to be the priest, the prophet, the king. Not a prophet or a king, or, but the Messiah. And they would come and demonstrate the favorable year of God or the reign of the Lord being exhorted over this kingdom. And this leads us to the anointing that rested upon Jesus. That is why we call him the anointed one. At the time Jesus was born, there was a strong sense of anticipation amongst the people of Israel who'd been waiting for centuries for a Messiah to come. Not a Messiah, but the Messiah. They'd been waiting for centuries. One of the things I think that amazes me is that when Jesus begins his public ministry, not many of the people actually recognize him for who he is, despite the overwhelming evidence that that he possessed from an anointing from God that far exceeded any that had ever rested on any other person on the earth. He raised the dead, he made the blind to see, he made the crippled to walk, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. He forgave people of deep, dark sins and gave them new leases on life. One of the things that we know when we read the Bible is that there really was a great deal of confusion about Jesus, just like there is today. Even after he'd been ministering for some time and doing all of these miracles, these things that John wrote about, these that he has done, he's done so that you can trust that he is the Messiah. That's our text. But miracles have never been substantial enough to make people believe they crucified the Lord of glory. You know, at one point, Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? And who do people say that I am? I thought about that a little bit and I asked myself, Jesus, I wonder why he really asked them that question. And I think he was taking the pulse of his culture. I think he was testing the waters and trying to get feedback regarding the rumors on the streets about who people were really saying that he was. And, and I'd even go a step farther. I'd suggest that he asked this question because it was more for the disciples' benefit than it was for Jesus's. So then in a direct response to Jesus's question, the disciples begin to share what they hear on the streets and in the circles in which they met. And some of them began to say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And I think this was really the heart of what he was getting at in the first place. Because really in life, it's not so much about what others say and what others do and what others believe as much as it is about what we say and what we do and what we choose to believe about the one that we're invited to adore, Jesus, the anointed one. Peter answered with what some call the great confession. And it's really something that could be said about all of us who have made this confession because it's his personal confession about who Jesus really is to him. He looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And with these words, Peter declared what all the prophets had promised had come, that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one had came. And then Jesus said something very interesting. He told Peter that, 
He was really blessed to have this kind of understanding because flesh and blood had not revealed this to him, but the Father in heaven had revealed this to him. The very same one who had revealed the anointed one to John the Baptist when Jesus came to be baptized. And John saw a dove light upon him and heard the voice of the Lord say, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, there's people today are still confused, just as they were in Jesus' day, about who he is. We have good things to say about Jesus. Some people say that he's a great teacher. Some say he's a man of great conviction. Some say he was a, a great example of unbelievable compassion and a man of virtue. But they fall short of crossing the line that says he's the Messiah. This is the one great divide between believers and unbelievers. Only the one who's been born again can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My question to you this morning is, can you? Can you make that confession with all certainty in your heart? It was John the Baptist who announced the anointed one had arrived when he said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And though I didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize him with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You know, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with a unique anointing. There's only one Christ. His anointing was like that of no other man, and there's a reason that we refer to him as the only begotten Son of God. He was, he was anointed to eradicate the rule and the reign of sin in the lives of all of God's creation. And he began his ministry by entering into a synagogue and standing up to read from the book of Isaiah as proof of who he was. And we find this in Luke 4. I read it earlier, but it's repeated in the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Now, I want you to, in your mind to see what's happened. Jesus comes to John. The Spirit of God descends from heaven And falls upon Jesus and anoints him, fills him with the Spirit as the anointed one. He begins his ministry by coming into a synagogue and standing up. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable or favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed it back. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. And the Bible says that all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And this is what he said to them. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Indicating that he was the promised Messiah. That he was anointed one. You know, when Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, I believe that he's making a direct reference to the anointing that had come upon him, one that was witnessed by John at his baptism, so that Jesus could fulfill the call for which God had sent him. And it's this anointing, one without measure, that's when it's released in ministry, it serves to demonstrate and show people what the kingdom of God is really like. Luke reminds us, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good, 
healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. You know, Jesus is the only anointed man who was able to function in the fullness of the Spirit without measure. But the word Christ, meaning the anointed one, and the word for Christian has that same word in it. Jesus is the anointed one, capital A. We are his anointed ones, little a. There's an anointing that rests upon each of us because we're members of his body. Different gifts and talents and skills that he's given each and every one of us. And collectively, we become the body of Christ. As a church, we're anointed. We receive the same Holy Spirit by believing in the anointed one. That Jesus, the Christ, the God-man, that he's the head of the church and we're connected to him as, as a body by his spirit. And everyone who's born again and is a part of the body of Christ shares in this anointing. In a similar way, we too are promise bearers. We get to share the good news. We get to partake in bringing healing to the brokenhearted. We get to come along people who are in bondage to watch God bring liberty to the captive and freedom to the oppressed. You know, it was in the presence of his disciples that Jesus performed Many other miracles, the Bible says, which have not been recorded in this book. But the ones that he has recorded, the Bible says that he recorded so that we could have trust and know that he's the anointed one. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to think about the anointing that rests upon Jesus, that brings the promise of the gospel to our lives. And I want you to think about your life and your family and your friends, even people that you're not so fond of who are connected to you. And I want you to think of the areas of their lives where the good news of the gospel needs to be brought into their lives. I want you to think about how you or those that you or know or have broken hearts and are bruised. I want you to think about those that you love and that are connected to you who are in bondage and they're captive and they need to be set free. And I want us to pray for one another this morning with confidence and knowing that the reason we have these stories is so that we know that we have life in the anointed one who brings anointing to break the yokes of bondage in lives like this. So Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, we come before you as your children. Lord, we lift up the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, we choose to trust you. We choose to trust and believe in these stories. And Lord, you know every person, every family that are in our minds. Holy Spirit, we invite you 
to release salvation, to bring shalom, to bring peace to the troubled waters of these relationships and lives. And may the anointing that rests upon Jesus continue to be released in the lives of these people to bring them freedom and to bring them peace.